Irish Nation. Notre Dame comes back from California against USC with their fourth defeat on the season, losing 38-21, falling to 8-4, and and ending the possibility for Notre Dame to hit 10 wins via bowl win for the sixth consecutive year on to starting a new streak in 2023. Mike, you were at the game out in L.A. How, how was the Coliseum? How was the game atmosphere? Yeah, so a few things I want to quickly cover here. So I flew in. I was actually in Cleveland, Ohio for Thanksgiving. I grabbed a super early flight in the morning to get back to L.A. early. Just give myself plenty of time so I could actually go to the game. So pretty long day. We did some tailgating before. That was awesome. The weather was great. It was felt like a perfect day. And then obviously the game didn't go as planned. It was, it was pretty disappointing that we just – we didn't play horribly, but we definitely didn't play great, and that was a little bit disappointing. Um, one thing that I was kind of struck with was this is a huge game for USC and I was in the stadium and the environment was better than prior games I had been at, at the Coliseum, but still not what you would expect in a matchup like this, where it was a, essentially a must win game for USC to make it to the playoff and a huge statement game potentially over the rival. When I was inside, there were large swaths of the stadium that were empty. There were entire sections that were empty and beyond that, just like in certain spots, just patchwork of, of empty seats. So I was pretty surprised that in a game like this, you still didn't get a fully packed stadium. I know at Notre Dame, when we've had games like this, they're always fully packed. Not every single game that we play, in, but any really big marquee game now is fully packed. And that definitely was not the case at USC. And that's something that I've talked about before on the show. Living out in LA, people like sports here. It's not quite the same as other places, but college football in particular, you just don't have the same level of passion here. Um, it was definitely louder than games I had been to there in the past, but definitely not the juice that you would expect. I was in Athens back when we played there. That had a lot of energy. I've been to some, like I said, big Notre Dame games. Ton of energy. It was just nowhere close to that. Um, by and large, though, the USC fans were nice. I will say, I think I need to stop going to these games, though, these these Notre Dame games at USC, because every time I go, there's just a sequence of unfortunate events that follows after the game or during the game. Last time I went was 2016. We had a torrential downpour. It was like 50 degrees. I talked about that last time, and you fa- you fact check me on on the weather. Uh, just not not what you would expect when you have friends visiting. We just couldn't. It really limited our options. And then this time, I get home after a long day of travel, go back to my house, turn the key to my front door, and the lock explodes. So I have to do an emergency locksmith. This happened right at the moment when I was tired. I was ready to go to bed and had to basically spend much of the evening figuring out the lock situation. So I think the lesson here for me is. I just need to stop going to these games. You're the bad luck charm. I must be the bad luck charm. I think I found it. So next time Notre Dame's playing at USC, I'm just going to... I'll fly out. You stay home. Cook me a nice dinner. I'll go to the game. (laughs) Yeah, let's do that. If that works, (laughs) we could do that. Let's just do that every two years. That's that's something I'm okay with. So a bit of a long line answer, but I enjoyed everything leading up to the game. Overall, the game itself was... It's always fun going to a college football game. It's disappointing to lose, but there were a lot of other interesting elements that were kind of going on. Uh, and like I said, I was a little snake bitten after the game. Absolutely. Well, bummer of a weekend for Notre Dame fans. We'll dive into this game shortly. A couple housekeeping items. Now that the regular season is wrapped up, we will not be on our normal weekly cadence going forward. So we're going to do a USC recap today. We're going to come back in a few weeks and have a one segment show. There's obviously no games to preview right now, but we're going to do a listener mailbag of Q&A that we've gotten from listeners uh, reaching out to us via email or, or people that know us or, or on Twitter. And so we'll cover that Q&A in a show later this week. 
And then it'll get a little ad hoc here over December. We'll do a bowl game preview once we know the opponent and leading up to that game. We'll do likely a show on recruiting update as we go through the early signing period, a show to wrap up the bowl game and kind of season end grades and and an early look to next year. But over the next few weeks, the shows will be a little more sporadic going into January here as as we close out season two of Garish Talk. Yep, unless we have some sort of emergency podcast situation like we did last year. So hopefully, hopefully no new head coach. <laughs> yeah, hopefully USC doesn't some you bring Marcus Freeman on their coaching staff or something. We have to do an emergency podcast. So we're actually as we're recording this, I think we're at the anniversary of the Brian Kelly uh, going to LSU. Wow, news. that's crazy. Yeah. So I'm hoping we don't have anything like that this year. Now, so anyways, for our listeners, go follow the show. As Brett said, our schedule is going to be more ad hoc. But follow the show. We'll we'll give you a heads up when we're about to put out a new show uh, on this uh, more ad hoc basis. And then, again, subscribe to make sure that you get alerts when new shows come out. That's really, really key. So even if, if you miss some communication with us on Twitter, if you're subscribed, it'll download for you automatically and you'll get a heads up on it. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on football this holiday season. Same game parlays, easy and fast payouts, player prop options, and more. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check it out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings' stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger shot you have to win. Download the DraftKings Sports app now. Use code TPPN. That's T-P-P-N. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get a $150 in free bets if they do. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. Minimum age of 21 and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Notre Dame loses 38-27 to at the Coliseum against our arch rival, the USC Trojans. And if you watch this game on the ABC broadcast, if you've read about this game um, from any of the beat writers, pretty much everyone's take on this game is that the storyline was quarterback play, Caleb Williams putting on a Heisman performance, and Drew Pine not coming up in big moments, despite playing really well, but not coming up in big moments. Importantly, the crucial fumble. We thought that that was a bit of a cheap storyline and that there was much more to this game. So we're going to break down um, two storylines related to one, Caleb Williams against the Notre Dame defense, and the other storyline, Drew Pine and, and, and the offensive play. And try to move on a little bit from just simplifying it. The quarterback play was the difference in this game. My overall takeaway from this game was that we played really competitive. Despite the score, um, according to college football data, the postgame win expectancy for USC was only 58%. We went toe-to-toe with a top-10 team. That's now three top-10 matchups this year. We go one and two, but in all three of those games, including two on the road that wound up in losses, played really competitive football. And that's acceptable. Like to go one and two against top 10 teams, you know, you're not going to win those games 100% of the time. Would have we loved to have gone two and one or three and oh, sure. 
But my first and foremost takeaway from this game was Notre Dame showed up to play and was competitive despite some things working against us that we'll get into. Definitely, I agree. I think it's encouraging that we've, like you said, all these really big games, we've shown up, and we've won one in, in Freeman's first year. Kelly has not always shown up in these games in, in his tenure. So, of course, there have been games where we were expected to just run the other team off the field, and we didn't show up in those. But I do think at least it's good to see in the big games that we've, we've shown up. Now, the one storyline that you mentioned, Brett, and this is storyline number one. It's about Caleb Williams and... I wasn't watching the broadcast, but it seems like this was something they were talking about a lot. And this is about him potentially putting on a Heisman-level performance by breaking the ND defense. And he was – look, don't get me wrong. He was phenomenal. 18 of 22 for 232 yards, one passing touchdown, plus three rushing touchdowns. A lot of those were, frankly, kind of back-breaking type plays, very frustrating where he was eluding our our defense. Um, excluding sacks, he added about 70 yards rushing. But I thought this was important, and this was something that – I, th- I think a lot of people in the media did not give proper attention to. Certainly they didn't on the broadcast, but even some beat writers too. Pete Sampson, for, in- for instance, in his recap of the game, didn't mention the Tariq Bracey and Cam Hart injuries until the 12th paragraph. Um, again, the ABC broadcast didn't mention it at all. And uh, I thought it was just really important context that they just left out. These are two of our top corners. You could argue there are two top corners. Morrison certainly has, has shown up as a rookie sensation, so maybe now he's in that top two. But at a minimum, two of our top three corners – we're not playing at all this game against the USC offense that has been quite lethal all year. So I, I, I was just kind of, I don't know, flabber. It's not that surprising to me that, that ABC and ESPN would have left that out. Cause I, again, we were talking about this before the show. They, this is a crew that's, they're spread a little bit thin. They kind of tend to stick to the main storylines for a season. They're not like getting into the nitty gritty of every team, but had we had those two guys, I can't help but wonder if, if our defensive performance may have looked a little bit different this game. Especially because they were both late-game scratches. Um, Tariq Bracey with a hamstring, Cam Hart in a in a shoulder sling, and both those guys were healthy a week ago, so not sure if they were dinged up and kind of no one saw it in the Boston College game or if it was something in a practice or a pregame warm-up. But it was as much that those were the guys that covered Josh Downs at UNC and Jackson Smith to Jigbed, Ohio State. Like, they were our lockdown corners. I know Ben Morrison's emerged, but those two guys lead the defense in snaps, like total snaps played, and depth became a major issue. Jaden Mickey and Clarence Lewis basically had to step up and replace those two guys. Jaden Mickey logged 66 snaps in this game. USC had 66 plays. So Jaden Mickey, a true freshman who's played in spots and has a bright future and, and is, you know, a really young talent. Um, but he played the entire game. Before this, his season high for snaps was 30. So he played twice as much as he ever has in his career. And, you know, for context in the Clemson game, Cam Hart played on 80% of snaps. Ben Morrison played on 80% of snaps. So even against Clemson, we were able to rotate in and out Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison. In this game, the true freshman, Jaden Mickey, never got off the field, and he frankly got picked on. He got beat. He, he wore down. Um, he played like a true freshman. And I think formation became an issue. This is a game where we basically averaged playing about three and a half linemen and two linebackers. So we averaged something between a nickel and a dime defense to try to slow down their passing game. And by and large, we did. 
uh, Caleb Williams only threw for 230 yards. That was his second lowest on the total. Now I get it. He had an 82% completion rate. I get it. They chunked this up in, in the run game. In fact, you know, everyone wants to say, why did the run game get gashed? The run game got gashed to the tune of six yards per carry by Austin Jones going for 154 yards because we said we're not going to let Caleb Williams absolutely slice us up and go for four or 500 yards. And he did it. So we said we're going to go play nickel dime. We're going to give safety help to Jaden Mickey. We're going to give safety help to Clarence Lewis because we don't have our starters out there. And between depth and then formation mismatches, that was just too much. That was a bigger storyline than Caleb Williams being an elite cornerback. It was Caleb Williams is an elite quarterback for sure, but he was going up against a really good defense with a major, major glaring hole that we just weren't going to be able to overcome. It was very clear early in the game. It persisted throughout the game where without Cam Hart and Tariq Bracey out there, this was going to be a really tough night for Notre Dame. And if anyone didn't have that takeaway from from watching the broadcast because they were listening to Reese Davis and, and Kirk Herbstreit, um, that should be your takeaway after listening to our show today. It's it's pretty frustrating. I going into this game, I think we were both pretty optimistic, but we were go, both optimistic based on the fact that our defense would have been healthier. And as you mentioned, Brad, I think you did a good job connecting the dots here. It's we had these guys out in our secondary, and because that, because of that, we had to rely more on this nickel defense, which allowed USC to run much more effectively than they would have otherwise. I'm really curious, and this is a question we'll never have the answer to, unfortunately, just how these things go, is how we would have performed if we had Cam Hart and, and if we had Tariq Bracey. We could have played a more traditional defense. We could have played uh, more to our strengths, and I'm pretty curious how that would have went. But, again, we'll never know. Just one of those games that uh, – we got a little bad luck before the game. And of course, Caleb Williams is elite. There's no question of that. Uh, and now moving, moving on to Caleb Williams, but on his elusiveness, he, he certainly is very mobile. He's very athletic, but I thought it was a little overhyped by the broadcast team about how, how bad a job Notre Dame did. I didn't think they actually did a horrible job. I'm just going to throw some stats out right here to just frame everything. So. We had 12 QB pressures on 27 dropbacks. So that's 45% of dropbacks that Williams was under pressure. That's a very high rate. In the last five games prior to Notre Dame when USC was really humming, Williams was actually only pressured on 25% of dropbacks. So our pressure rate was way higher than what USC has, uh, has seen lately. And now how did we actually convert that into results? Well, we got two sacks. So 17% of pressures turned into sacks. That's about average. So... We had a much higher pressure rate, and then we converted that at about an average rate. And then how does that translate into the havoc rate? Our havoc rate was 19%, which is really good by the defensive line. But based on the broadcast, I wasn't watching the broadcast, but I was following it on Twitter, and I was texting with my friends who were watching it. And I've, I've read a bunch of articles about how the broadcast went. It, it sounds like you never would have known that based on the broadcast. All you would have known was that Caleb Williams was just breaking ankles left and right and just embarrassing our defensive line. And again, don't get me wrong, Brett and I have said this a bunch of times. He's he's great in this game, but because we had to play, going back to the point that Brett made, because we had to play this nickel defense and we had some guys out, it really allowed the USC run game to flourish. And that's, in my opinion, I think that's why they won the game. Caleb Williams, he had 232 passing yards. That's actually the second lowest on the season. So we actually contained him more effectively than some other teams have. It really was, not to harp on this point too much, but I do think it really was the USC run game. That's what won them the game. For sure. And, you know, another way 
to look at this game was not our defensive line's lack of pressure or lack of ability to get Caleb Williams on the ground. A 27 dropback sacking a guy two times is actually really good, and bringing pressure 45% of the time is really good. The storyline to focus on on that side of the ball was Notre Dame's tackling. Um, that was the one area that I thought was most disappointing and really hurt Notre Dame in this game. So Notre Dame came into this game as the number one tackling team in the country with a missed tackle of about 8% of tackling opportunities. That's number one in the country. They had 20 missed tackles in this game for a 26% missed tackle rate. So almost one in four attempts at tackling we missed. Throughout the rest of the season, it was more like one in 12. So that elevated missed tackling really doomed this game. And it wasn't really Caleb Williams. Um, the receivers had uh, 10 broken tackles in the run game. Caleb Williams broke four tackles. So like, again, he's elusive. He, he broke four tackles. Austin Jones broke six. So most of that elusiveness was really coming from USC's skill position players, not Caleb Williams. And it was a little bit Caleb Williams, right? Like they, they both deserve credit for that. But this was throughout the entire field. Um, you, you know, J- uh, Jaden Mickey, we, we highlighted him. He had four missed tackles alone, all, all against wide receivers. And one of the things I didn't get in this game was why Jack Kaiser only got 19 snaps for Notre Dame. Pretty much the entire game at linebacker was played by um, J.D. Bertrand and Maris Luafau. And I know J.D. Bertrand's played some good football down the stretch. He had a huge game against Clemson. He had a huge game against Boston College. He really struggled um, in this game at middle linebacker. Um, really got picked on in all phases. A lot of times he wasn't even having missed tackles because he was just so far out of alignment in in the run game. And it comes back down to just, he played 65 of 66 snaps. You're telling me that J.D. Bertrand's last 10 snaps when he's played an entire football game is more productive than your senior Jack Kaiser, who played a really, really good, he's one of the only defensive players in this game that didn't have a missed tackle, and he was only in the game for a third of snaps. So if I had one criticism of the coaching staff in this game, it's probably linebacker rotation. Um, Jack Kaiser was just barely on the field. Um, Jalen Sneed, who had started seeing some playing time, I don't think he ever got on the field. Prince Colley played one snap in this game, and he's been in the rotation in a big way in the last month of the season. So I felt like we really lost our depth rotation for guys that weren't doing well. Like if we were getting off the field and shutting them down, I get it. Keep riding with the players that are playing well. We were missing tackles left and right. We were out of position. I get it not having guys to rotate in the secondary because of the injuries. I don't understand that at linebacker when we had been rotating players so well for Kaiser to get one snap, Colley, sorry, Kaiser to get 19 snaps, um, Prince Collie to get one snap, and then seeing the struggles of J.D. Bertrand in run defense, I don't know why he wasn't getting a breather. I thought missed tackling and cornerback injuries were the story of this game more than anything we want to talk about from Caleb Williams and how great he is. He is. You've said it again, he's great. That was a secondary storyline to Notre Dame's tackling across the field and the injuries at cornerback. Definitely. And some credit to USC here. They're a very athletic team. They have great skill position players. They are a team that's going to cause more missed tackles than, than your average team. But 
even factoring that in, this was a very poor tackling performance for the team that was coming in as the number one tackling team in the country. So I, I think, Brett, I think you framed everything there perfectly. I think the injuries at cornerback forced us to play nickel, which put more pressure on our linebackers to make tackles in space against their against against the running game, and unfortunately they didn't do that. They also weren't doing it as well in the passing game, too, in space. Our defensive line did show up, but again, uh, b- because of all these other factors, it just was not the performance that we were we were hoping for. Now, um, moving moving on to another point that we want to talk about, um, and I'm going to move on to, to Drew Pine. So, one thing that kept getting mentioned again and again, and this was a very notable moment in the game, and that was Drew Pine's fumble. A lot of people were saying it cost Notre Dame the game, and. Again, I'm going to mention some stats here to just kind of frame the impact it had on our win probability. Before his fumble, Notre Dame's expected win probability was about 24%, so not super high. But we still had a, a puncher's chance. Afterwards, that dropped to 11%. Backbreaker, definitely, didn't necessarily cost Notre Dame the game. As there always is, there are more pieces and factors that come into play than just one single play. Now, another play before Mike Mayer's first touchdown, Endy's win probability was 20%. Increased to 30% after that touchdown. However... When USC responded immediately after with a with a touchdown, it dropped back down to uh, 18%. So that had a pretty large impact as well. Another play I want to mention, Notre Dame's failed fourth and one. That dropped our probability from 22 to 15%. The only reason that it wasn't a bigger impact is because it happened so much earlier in the game. So the fumble hurt, but it wasn't. this game was not lost by our offense. There were plenty of other moments in the game that also had some pretty big impacts on, on our win probability. I completely agree. I think it's always so easy to talk about one play. I'm I'm victim of it. I mean, Mike, in our friend group chat, um, I'm on the record saying, gosh, Pines fumble in the fourth and one attempt. If they don't happen, we're in this game. The reality is, if those two things don't happen, we're maybe tied with USC. Their punter never went on the field. Now, their quarterback had two pooch punts. I get it. But they scored on all but two of their drives. We were never going to win that game. We were never going to beat them in a shootout um, at the Coliseum. We were going to win this game by doing exactly what we did on offense and coming up with some stops on defense. We didn't come up with any stops on defense. Even those two punts, they were able to get into Notre Dame territory. So not once in this game was Notre Dame's defense able to stop USC before they crossed midfield. Um, everywhere else, though, the offense did their job. Notre Dame's success rate was 61%. We talk about success rate all the time, getting half of the yardage on first and 10, 70% of the yardage on second to go, and 100% of the yardage on third and fourth down. Offenses want to be in the high 40s. Um, in this game, our offense was 61%. USC's offense was 59%. On chunk plays, um, Notre Dame had 15 plays of 10 yards or more. USC had 20 or more, uh, 20 such plays. So USC had more 10-yard chunk plays. But on 20-yard or more chunk plays, Notre Dame had 9 to USC's 5. So even in explosiveness and chunk plays and moving the ball, like all of the stats we talk about, um, havoc, all of those things, Notre Dame was neck and neck. In fact, college football Data.com said the post-game win expectancy of all the plays jumbled together showed USC with a 58% post-game win expectancy. It was an even game. And there were a couple of big moments, but Notre Dame was never going to win this game by asking perfection from Drew Pine. 
And we wound up asking perfection from Drew Pine, and, and he made a mistake. He, he made a really big mistake on the fumble. In fact, um, I went back and watched film on the third down, sorry, on the second down before the fourth and one. Drew Pine had a wide open um, Logan Diggs in the flat that would have been a first down. I thought that was Drew Pine's other big mistake of this game was actually not picking up the first down before we ever even got to fourth down. Um, but that happens. Like, he's our backup quarterback. We know he's limited. And he balled out in this game. 89% completion rate on average depth of target, nine yards downfield, which is really a, a deeper game for him. 318 yards was a career high. Three touchdowns. He he did everything he needed to do to put Notre Dame in a position to win. I think getting hung up on the fumble or kind of nitpicking his game is missing the bigger point that our offense balled out, led by Drew Pine on a night we'll get into it when the running game wasn't there. But I think we got to move away from like Drew Pine's fumble cost the game. That's not true. The offensive metrics were great. The offense did their job. Drew Pine played arguably his best game as a Notre Dame football player and should be praised for this one. And if you said the offense cost us in Stanford and Marshall and Ohio State, in this game, the defense got this loss. And there were injuries involved and, and you know, really good context to it that we've already talked about. But the fumble didn't lose this game. A bunch of other things culminating around it lost that game. Agreed. The offense did generally show up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna top, I'm gonna switch to the other, uh, side of the offense, and that's the running game. So overall, our offense, I thought, showed up, but one point that we have to mention here is that our run game actually started pretty slow. So, if you're looking at Twitter, if you're on social media, there were a lot of calls for getting Estimate the ball more. He only had six attempts compared to 12 for Diggs. And to just give some context on what USC was doing in the first half, they were, they were loading the box. They were putting eight and nine in the box. So, not surprisingly, a lot of times when teams load the box, it's going to be very difficult for your running backs to have enough space to have effective runs. There have been a few games this year where we've actually been able to just completely exert our will on teams that do it and, and get run yards anyway. This was not one of those games. In the first half, Estime had three carries for five yards. And it's not like Estime was doing something Diggs wasn't doing. It's that USC was just completely selling out. They basically said, you know what? You're not going to beat us with the run. We're going to force you to pass it. We're going to put this all on Pine. As a team, we've rushed for 43 yards in the first half. That's only 3.1 yards per carry. Almost half of those, this is important to note, came from one Tyree run. Now, this is where, this is what you like to see from your offensive coordinator based on all this data. So, Tommy Reese saw this. He saw USC was completely selling out against the run, made some adjustments, and then he went to the pass. We've said this many, many times this year. Teams are loading the box, have zero safeties. You just have to pass the ball. And you you just need to put your QB in a position to uh, have to make those throws. And credit to Pioneer, Brett, you already said it. He, I thought he, I thought he played a good game here. He, he basically, we took what the offense, what the defense was giving to us, put it on Pine's shoulder, and and Pine came through. So credit to Reese here for quickly adjusting after after some of those uh, opening sequences. Now moving to the second half, this is where it gets a little trickier. USC had a lead. Pine was he was beating them. Then they dropped into their nickel. Then they completely flipped the other way when they went to a prevent defense. So instead of loading up against the run, they started selling out against the pass. It's a little different, though, because they were they were in the lead. So we got seven yards per carry, so we were able to run the ball when they completely switched their, their strategy, but about half as many rushes. And that's because we couldn't just run the ball constantly because we were trailing. You have to pass. You have to make sure that you're not just eating as much, eating as much clock. Um, so... 
again, I think it's important context. The run was more effective in the second half, but it's not because we just started wearing down USC's defense or Audric Estime doing something Logan Diggs wasn't. It's that USC switched their strategy. And another point I'm going to make here is that even though USC switched their strategy to focusing on our pass, Pine actually did still light them up. So, again, like you said, Brett, this was his best game of the year. Even when USC was really focused on him uh, on the pass, he was still doing a really good job here. So overall, I was I was impressed with Reese making the adjustments when he did. He reacted very quickly, and then I was also impressed with Pine reacting the way he did. Now I'm I'm a little disappointed, maybe with the with the run game because we have shown at times in the past that we've been able to generate some running yards even when teams sell out against it. But again, you can't totally fault a run game for not performing at an extremely high level if a team is totally selling out against it. Yeah, when when there's eight, nine guys consistently in the box, it's awesome if we can do what we did against Clemson. It's also very rare and surprising to get that performance. Um, and we didn't tonight, but that's not a showing on the run, running backs or, or the offensive line. And it's also, I, th- I think the other way to contextualize this is the first half of the run game didn't work because USC tried to put nine defenders solely against stopping the run. In the second half, they only had five defenders consistently trying to stop the run. So I think a lot of times people are like, we just need to keep running the ball because we'll wear down the defense. And you can see that because in the second half, our yards per carry went up. Sometimes that might be true. Um, a lot of times we saw this in the Syracuse game. That actually wasn't the case. We, we ran the ball a ton in the first half. We ran a ton in the second half and the yards per carry we had a lot of yards because we ran it a lot, but the yards per carry didn't really get better as the game wore on. Um, it actually stayed pretty flat. This was a, a different version of that narrative just kind of being incorrect. The yards per carry went up in the second half, not because Notre Dame's offense magically wore down USC. It's just because USC became more worried about stopping the pass and less worried. And they're like, look, if you want seven yards running it, we're up by 17 points. Great. Go take seven yards and run the clock. And so USC gave us that. And we took it. We ran the ball, I thought, with enough balance in the second half. Um, I thought the play calling, you know, for being down was properly balanced with a heavy mix of pass, but mixing in the run. But that was USC's scheme changing that allowed Notre Dame to go for more running yards, not necessarily something, you know, we were all, all of a sudden feeding Audric Estime more. That wasn't really the narrative. It was really a shift in, in USC's scheme. Again, 27 points from our offense. Wish it would have been more. This was actually a really low drive game that both teams had a lot of long drives. So, you know, 27 points should have been enough to give us a fighter's chance. This one was more about defense not getting off the field. Um, two other quick hitters that, that I wanted to cover. One is Mike Mayer. This is probably his last game in a Notre Dame uniform. You know, if, if I had to guess he's not playing in a bowl game and he's going to focus on his NFL career and, and getting ready for the draft. If I were Mike Mayer, I would not risk a, you know, I hate even mentioning it, but a Jalen Smith type injury. Um, so honestly, I hope Mike Mayer doesn't play in the bowl game for, for his sake, but wow, what a game. Eight catches, 98 yards, two touchdowns. He was in double coverage this entire game. He had a catch in quadruple coverage. Like it was getting to the point where I was like yelling at the TV, like Drew Pine stopped throwing it in triple coverage and Mayer just kept catching the ball. Um, Maybe my favorite all-time Notre Dame offensive player. I'm sure there's recency bias in me saying that, but he has just been such an incredible joy to watch Notre Dame football the last three years with with Big 87 out there. 
Um, I'm so incredibly grateful for Mike Mayer. Players like him is, is what makes college football so, so fun. Despite an eight and four season, that was a disappointment. Despite not winning a national championship, guys like Mike Mayer is why you should enjoy Notre Dame football and, and just love the sport. Um, so thank you, Mike. I know you're not listening to the show, but thank you, Mike Mayer. The other quick one I wanted to hit on was the refs. Um, I was guilty of this. I was tweeting out being mad about holding calls, especially in the first half. Um, there was a specific play where Reese Davis was going off about Caleb Williams elusiveness and they slowed down this replay and they're like, look, like Adam Alola had no chance to get him. And in the replay, Caleb Williams is running away, but the offensive lineman is like ripping the jersey off of Adam Alola. Like it was just such a blatant holding call that I thought was really helping Williams extend plays in the first half. I went back and watched the second half of this game the next day on, on some quick highlights. Caleb Williams was just a great quarterback and, you know, wouldn't go down and was extending plays. And I also thought in the second half, we stopped bringing as much like blitzes and more focused on containment, which gave him more time um, to kind of extend plays, but not necessarily run and scramble. And so I thought we did some different things that still led to slow developing pass plays um, to, to try to mix it up. But I didn't see as many holding calls as I maybe thought watching it the first time. So I thought the refs were not great in the first half of this game. I thought overall that they weren't great. But my big takeaway from from rewatching the extended highlights of this one, USC was just the better team, especially when we were banged up with injuries. Caleb Williams is a great quarterback. We weren't tackling well. Did some penalties go against us? Sure. Did it cost us the game? Um, I know I was tweeting that in the first half. I've kind of changed my tune on that and say, look, refs made some mistakes, but this one, um, th- this one was about, you know, USC is just the better football team in this game and, and you got to tip your hat and can't, can't put this one on the refs. Agree. There are definitely some missed calls and I'm going to make a note to our listeners. If you see a tweet that from our account that's complaining about the refs, there's a hundred percent. One hundred percent of the time it's me. It's Brett. Yeah. And don't, don't get me wrong. I get, I get frustrated at refs too. But if you ever, if you've ever sat next to, to, uh, Brett at games, he'll, uh, you know, if you had an opportunity to let the refs know that they screwed up, he would. In, he would in an earlier life, I was an umpire for nine years and I'm just making up for it now. For all the fans and parents and players and coaches that yelled at me as an umpire, I'm just getting back. <laughs> Brett's, yeah, Brett's, he's getting a lot of practice in for his, uh, his future kids' upcoming youth baseball leagues. He's oh be, gosh, uh, no. He's gonna no. be quite a presence. He's gonna be quite a presence on, on that circuit. <laughs> Um, but I, I saw, I saw a few tweets. It wasn't, Brett, it wasn't even just you. I guess in hindsight, when you look back and watch some of these plays, maybe it's not as egregious as it looked like, but I think Pete Sampson even, I want to say he had a tweet that said, they definitely had, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They they definitely had some missed calls. It just maybe wasn't as many as I initially thought watching the game. Yeah. Sampson, he tweeted something along the lines of, looks like the refs are a little too entertained watching Caleb Williams to catch all these holding calls. Something along those lines. He had some tweet like that. I thought it was pretty interesting. But again, I don't think it made or break, you know, I don't think it made or break, or broke the game. But, um, it's, it is frustrating when you're so close to a sack and it looks like you saw a holding call. So, um, now I think one other, one other point I'm going to mention here real quick. We kind of mentioned this in the opening segment and it's that Notre Dame, we played to the level of a top 10 team again. I'm just going to mention a few of the advanced stats that we always focus on. If you look at success rate, 
chunk plays, havoc. We really talk a lot about how these how these stats predict games and seasons. Andy, we generally play toe-to-toe with USC on the road against the likely Heisman Trophy winner headed to the college football playoff. If you look at our success rate, we were essentially dead even. Havoc rate, dead even. Chunk plays, they USC won on the 10-plus yard plays. We won on the 20-plus yard plays. It really came down to the fourth and one failed attempt and Pines fumble. Andy's defense here, we mentioned it before, that's kind of the bigger storyline. That's where it's disappointing. We've, Brett and I both mentioned this several times. It was a disappointing performance, performance from the defense. There are a lot of reasons why we didn't show up how we were hoping. A lot of that was circumstances that don't, that would kind of suggest that, uh, there's not re- reason to be concerned moving forward. I mean, really, we just have a bowl game anyway, but moving forward, it, there, there's some, some information and context there that, that's really critical. But, um, I think overall, as I take a scope of this regular season, we're in a pretty dark place at times this season. After Marshall, and then for me, I think for me personally, I think after the after the Stanford game, Stanford finished this, three and nine. Their only yeah. other win against a Power Five team was Arizona State, and and David Shaw has resigned as their head coach. Like that one he did. was dark. It was, and it was just depressing because we'd already lost to Marshall. I was thinking maybe that was just kind of a, a one-off, and then we had another one, and it was looking pretty bad. I know the podcast that Brett and I had after that that one, I I remember, I can't remember if I texted you or maybe I was talking to my wife, and I said, I'm about to go report the, record the podcast. This is uh, <laughs> this is one I'm not looking forward to as much as, <laughs> as ones I've done in the past. Hopefully, I said this is not going to be nearly as much fun if if we just totally suck for the next few years, it just doesn't have the same, you know, you don't have the same energy, the same excitement. So it, it really is remarkable that Freeman was able to get the season back on track. And he gave us some incredible moments that Clemson win. That was one of the best moments I've had as a Notre Dame college football fan ever, honestly. So I, I do feel really good going into the off season. Freeman's a really good recruiter. I think he's done enough this season to, really sell his program and really show recruits what his, what his vision is for the future and how they can get there. So I, I think it's, it's important context that we, we have some reason for optimism and there were points this season where it looked like we weren't going to get there. And then I guess one final thing I'm going to mention, this is just a random aside. Uh, we were talking about Caleb Williams a lot and this is going to be another big storyline this off season. We're going to talk about it more in future episodes and that's, and that's quarterback. And of course, this game, Caleb Williams was not the reason, not the only reason USC won this game. We said the running game was a really key component, but I do think if you look at his impact this entire year for USC's football program, it shows you how impactful an elite quarterback can be. USC was not in a good place last year. They get an elite QB with Caleb Williams, and of course, there are other transfer portal players too, and immediately they flip into a college football playoff contender. So I think Notre Dame, I think I like what we have in the program. If we can figure out and I don't know that that's going to happen this next season. There, I don't see any elite players necessarily that we're going to get in the transfer portal at the quarterback position. You never know. But if we can figure this out and even just upgrade it, I think we have the core of a team that if you add an elite quarterback or someone who's even near elite, you have a team that I think could contend for college football playoff, not even just spot, but uh, for the whole thing, honestly. That's a great uh, foreshadow for our listener mailbag section. We got a couple questions on that. We will cover that on our next show later this week. Wrapping this episode up, I agree with everything you said about Freeman turning this season around. And I've been trying to think, was there ever a Kelly season where we were competitive and went toe-to-toe 
with three top 10 teams, including two on the road. Like, I just can't remember it. The, the fact that, you know, we went into these games against college football playoff caliber contenders. I know Clemson stumbled and didn't get there. USC's right on the doorstep. Ohio State stumbled and, and isn't going to get there. But three top 10 opponents that we went toe for toe with. And, you know, really in all the advanced metrics, we're really competitive and, and close in those games and, and won one of them. That is something we haven't seen before. And so if it takes a little volatility to get there, look, Marshall and Stanford can't keep happening in future seasons, but Freeman's got the blueprint now to, to go be competitive in these big games. And so far in a much more consistent way than Kelly, that's what Notre Dame fans, I think, got to be optimistic about. If, if you're going to take the glass half full approach, that's the approach you need to take in the off season. So with that, we're going to do a mailbag question later this week and then start getting ready for bowl season. Garish. Garish.